everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Today, we're, we're kind of laying in the plane on a series that we've been in for about the last six weeks. And as we get in, one of the operative questions for today, uh, and I'm going to give us just a minute of quiet for you to really consider this for a second, is how are you coming into today? You can take that just with the, the perspective of like, so far this morning, how are things going? Or how's this week been? You might zoom out a little bit more and go, since 2023 began, how am I? For some of you, you will need to take the step far, far back and go, 2018, 2001, how am I? And I know this is a loaded question, but as you consider, like, what is the state of your heart today? How are you? Take about 30 seconds, and I'll bring us back together. Some of us think about this question maybe too much. Um, some of you just had to muster some courage to stop and be quiet for that long and to consider. But the beauty and the fun and the playfulness of this series that we have been in is really taking an, an observer's approach to what happens in the life of somebody who has faith. And if you're new joining the series, today is the last day, and there's still something in here for you, I guarantee it. But uh, we've got two things that we're going to try and accomplish today. One is we're just batting cleanup on a couple of key concepts, particularly that came up last week with my friends Howard and Debbie that were here. Um, but the second is really to launch into what's the point of all of this. this. This whole series, we've been studying these ideas of these stages of faith. What happens as you continue to grow and mature? And the whole idea of the series really, really just got uh, started because I run into people and the way that they talk about faith in their life is like it's this line in the sand. Like once upon a time I was on this side and now I'm over here. Or I'm just checking out faith. I'm not anywhere right now, but there's a decision to be made. And once that decision's made, it's final. And like that's just how faith works. When in reality, I think in any faith system, in any faith story, particularly as followers of Jesus, the moment that you decide, I'm going to step this direction and begin following Jesus, it's like going on a hike. Like you just took the first step, but there is a whole journey in front of you. And people have spent time trying to figure out, are there seasons here? Are there stages that people go through? This is like the Cliff Notes version of our last six weeks together, just trying to look at these folks who have studied these different stages and what happens through each one. And let me just briefly take you along. For those of you who are like, I am a visual learner, I will need to follow along and read, this is for you. Other, if you're like, I'm overwhelmed by information on a screen right now, look at me, you can trust me, this is a good face. Here's where we've been. 
Stage zero, stage one. Um, the reason why it starts, you might be like, stage two, what the heck? It's amazing. Uh, stage zero and one, these are really stages that most people in this room, you're well through, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. This is um, being born. <laughs> this is beginning to understand connection. If you can picture like what happens between a mom and a baby as that baby's being held and eye contact is being given, that there's this attachment. There's this deep learning that starts to happen in a human soul. Um, stage one is just then the beginning uh, to be able to articulate things and understand the world around. But now for us in the room, for most adults, we're somewhere in these stages up on the screen. So stage two really is this stage of being mentored, um, discipling, discipleship is the Christianese word for this. But it's folks who are coming alongside as you're just going, I want to learn. Like I've begun this journey and as I'm taking steps, tell me more. Like, what do you need in the backpack? What should I be looking for? How do you enjoy this? As you're walking this journey of faith, stage two is just this time of being poured into. It's not just information. There's a culture to it. I think if it's done well, like if it's done at its finest, it's not just going, here's how you march and talk and quack like a Christian. If it's done well, it's done by people who are going, look at Jesus. Like, look at the culture of Jesus. Look how Jesus walks and look at what Jesus does. And we're going to try and do that. And, and as you're in this stage two, you're just learning to follow Jesus, period, alone. As you do that, you begin to wander then into stage three, which, which really starts to incorporate, man, there's a community that you're a part of. Uh, that could be a church. That could be a small group. That could just be a couple of friends in a dorm room. But that as this group of people continues to come together and as this learning of this journey, as you, as you continue to see Jesus and follow Jesus, Jesus was just not somebody who enjoyed being locked in a room. Jesus loved to be out in the world. He loved to be engaging with people, particularly people who were hurting. And so as you're learning about this Jesus and learning to follow this Jesus, you just can't help but get into a stage three where you go, who, who am I called to serve and love? Who's hurting around me, regardless of my own situation? And how can I be a part of their journey? And so you begin in stage three, this, this life of serving, and it's amazing. It's so fun. You see Jesus in such different ways when you're serving the hurting and the marginalized. But over time, there, I think it's really hard to avoid. The more you engage serving people, particularly people who are hurting, the more you continue to see, man, there is a power in the world. Like there are whole systems that are built to keep people marginalized. There are people that I'm serving that I just, I don't even know how to have hope that things might get better for them someday. I mean, there, there are so many things that you begin to see just serving in the world. And so you enter what, what is stage four of beginning to wonder like, God, if you're so good, why do bad things happen? God, if it's this life of hope and faith, like, I just feel hopeless. And what do I do with that? Like, I don't just want to pull wool over my own eyes, but I want to authentically engage really dark things in the world. How do I do this? As you move through stage four, um, we've been looking at a, a chart that a lot of people, this is it. And, and one thing that just concerns me so much on, on the spiritual pilgrimage as as a culture, we're built to believe if you start experiencing turbulence, something's wrong. So jettison as fast as you can. Run the other direction. Clearly, you didn't have a faith or your faith is in trouble if you're asking questions. 
And man, for, for, especially for our young folks, for our high school and college, but man, for adults, how many people believe if I have questions, particularly questions I'm not finding easy answers to, maybe none of it's real, and they walk away. And man, if there's something in this series I would love, if that's where you've been, I just want you to know, like, smart people have studied the, the life of faith, and you are right on track. Keep leaning into those questions and those doubts. It's a part of faith. And it seems cognitive dissonance there. But, but as you do, you emerge into stage five, this time of, of being okay with some of the tensions, finding answers for some of those things, but still not for others. And being able then to just go, where is truth and beauty in the world around? And how can I engage that? Whether I fully understand it and explain it or not, where is it? And, and for many, they begin to find my local church or my small group or that group of friends in a dorm room. They don't, they don't have a monopoly on all truth over all time. My ability to look beyond and say, what else is going on? For, for followers of Jesus, I just want to be super clear too. Stage five is not like moral relativism. <laughs> There's still very much a, a, a theme for a follower of Jesus of Christ alone. But where is truth and beauty? What does the worship experience look like for a follower of Jesus? Is it just what we do on Sunday mornings at Discovery Christian Church? Or is there something about these Catholics that they've been doing for a couple thousand years? That's amazing. Man, these Baptists, they get real weird sometimes, and those Pentecostals, holy smokes. But maybe all truth is not held in one church building. Maybe the experience of worshiping God is not even held by one culture. How do the Spanish do it? How do the Botswanans do it? What's their art look like when they look at God? And then as, we, as you continue to move through, allegedly, I mean, this is like rumor has it, there's stage six, where, you, where, where your ability to just go, I just trust God and whatever he's doing. This life of love that he's led me in, I just live fully out of that place pretty consistently, if not all the time. I love um, my friends Howard and Becky, if you weren't here last week, are two of my professors at Denver Seminary. They lead the spiritual formation and spiritual direction department and have for a long time. For both of them, who are in later seasons in their own spiritual journeys going, yeah, we've known a couple who we think, uh, a couple folks who we think might have been stage six, but it's rare. How fun is it, you guys, that we are on a journey that people, people who are way further down the path from us would say, yeah, there's, there's more. Like, we're still chasing the horizon on this thing. There's more. You won't get done. And, and sometimes that might feel like a suffocating thing. I just find that incredibly liberating. I mean, if you've ever wondered, like, what's at the bottom of the trenches of the sea? What's out there in space? What's on the backside of the moon? What's to be explored? There's always more. And it's delightful and playful. And the God of the universe is saying, man, come explore the depths with me. Don't stop. This has been our last six weeks together. You're getting it in a real quick dose. But there were a couple things that, came, that have come up that I just wanted to hit one more time, and then we'll get a little bit further into today's particular teaching. One thing is this. Um, this, this idea that we, we've been hitting of asking questions. Yeah, Nancy, give me this next one up on the screen. 
I want you to know that each stage, each stage looks kind of like this, that you have this time as you enter in where you go, oh man, stage three, here I am, I'm serving in the world, this is great. You go through this time of disorientation in stage three of, okay, how does this work and, and how do I fit into things? Where's God at work in the world around? And inevitably it leads to, well, not inevitably, I shouldn't say that, I don't want to overpromise. Hopefully it leads to a time of reorientation. Each stage is this way. And so it's been fun overhearing and hearing, having conversations with so many of you who are like, yeah, I think I'm in stage four. I'm asking questions. I have this doubt. That is likely true. But I just want you to know, some of us are in stage three. And just because we're asking questions, just because we're disoriented, does not mean that we're in stage four. The other thing I want to point out with this is some of us are in stage five, this life of going, man, there's truth, there's beauty, like there's more out there, but I still have these questions. I guess I'm just stuck in stage four. It's just a part of every season of our growth. So here's then what this can begin to look like. Give me the spiral thing. Debbie brought this up last week. Um, this is really, if you could like paint a picture of what these stages look like, what spiritual growth, this, this pilgrimage looks like, maybe it would look the best put in this kind of an image. But it's this spiral, and, and you're just constantly, as you're getting older, as you're following God, like you're just descending closer and further into the heart of God. But here's how some of this can look. Here's two stabs at this. One, I'm going to actually flip this around, so give me that next one, Nancy. Um, as you enter in, so stage two might begin. So give me that next slide. And as you begin stage two, there's this orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And as you get through stage two, you're going, okay, I'm oriented again. But then it, like, there's this centrifugal motion. And so give me that next one, Nance. That again, I hit stage three. And, and there is this belonging. There is this serving. But even through that, I'm still going around and around and around. Give me the next one. And it's just repeating as we go through. Now, here's where we're going to start to get into our point for today. What's the point of all of this stuff? Studying stages of development, of spiritual development. These stage theories, as they're called, um, in their full title are called stages of faith development. So today, as we're finishing this series, I I just want to put something on full blast. Um, As you're moving through these stages, give me that next one, Nancy. As you're going through orientation, disorientation, reorientation, your faith is growing through each stage. And here's maybe another question to get us a little bit further into the day. Is faith a static thing? Do you either like have it or you don't? Or when you talk about faith and when you talk about your faith, do you talk about it more almost like a potted plant? I got a little thing of rosemary in my house that's been growing on the counter. I actually died a while back, so this is a terrible example. Um, <laughs> But do you carry it around like that? Like, I've got something. It's, it's constantly growing. And as I go through things in my life, whether good or bad, faith is not just something that I have. Faith is something that I am tending to, that God is tending to, and I just get to hold it. Do you view it like that? Okay, give me this next one. Because there was one other thing that Debbie said last week that I was just like, oh, that's so good. There's also this idea of healing. Um, you may... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about it, okay? It's okay. Just breathe deep. Breathe deep. Um, The serious stuff. Trauma and addiction. 
these can be places where right away you go, I am trying to figure out where I am at in this whole stage thing, but I've got this addiction that I've had for like decades, and I cannot break it. I've had this trauma, and just when I think I'm moving past it, it comes up and it rears its head, and I don't know how to move past it. And it may start to feel like, man, I'm just I'm getting stuck on the spiral, and I can't move ahead. And you'll keep living your life. You might go to counseling. You might, I mean, you'd be processing it with friends, praying for healing. And I, I want to be so clear, y'all. Sometimes, for some people, God will just straight up heal stuff, and it's done in your spiral. Like, you will not see it again. But for some, it'll come up again. And I just want you to begin even visually seeing that does not mean that you're stuck in a clog up at the top of the spiral. It just means you're hitting it again as you're developing and maturing and going further and further and further. Now in this same thing, I, I, I just want you to know, to be a fully mature follower of Jesus, as somebody who still says, I'm a sinner, you can't not be that. Paul, uh, who wrote a whole big chunk of the New Testament, would say, I am the worst of all sinners. And this was a guy who was very spiritually mature. As you go through all of these things, I just want you to see these stages that we're studying. What's the point of all of this? The point is that they are stages of faith development. As you come around this addiction or this trauma one more time, that there's just this opportunity to go, God, here we are again. What are we going to do this time around? And for those of you that have done some work along these lines, you know, man, there are stories that happen. I used to deal with this trauma or this addiction, and it would show up this way. And now it's like a hydra. <laughs> like I thought I killed that thing, and now it come, came back, and now it's got two heads. God, what are we going to do this time around? But I'm a different person than I was then. And my faith has grown since then. Now this faith is being asked to do battle with something difficult. God, what are we going to do? The whole point is that your faith is growing as you go and as you engage with these things. The Broncos, we just, just for a second, we're going to flip this around. Um, I'm going to call this the dealing spiral because you just have to deal with them for right now. But in the heart of the Trinity in the late 90s in 2016, it was so good. And since then, it is devolving. But I just want to point out, it still is inviting just more faith and more faith and more faith. Just keep, keep coming in. The point is faith development. Okay, let's get a little bit more into our teaching for today. The point is to grow your trust in God and, to who, and in who God has made you to be. Let me say that again because both of these are such distinct things. The point in all of this is to grow your trust in God and who God made you to be. We all have times when life hits. When bad things begin, which Scripture sometimes interestingly calls a time of testing. It quite literally, it's like getting a report on how your faith is holding up. How have you been doing? Have you been holding up over the last several years? What was your answer in that very brief 30 seconds of quiet? I think for me, I would say I've, I felt like I've been getting punched in the mouth on repeat since COVID began. It's been hard sledding for me. The things that we've gone through as a family, the things that I've gone through in work, the things that I've gone through in my faith have been really, really hard. Has it been that way for you, this testing? Am I any different now than I was five years ago 
what's changed and what's grown in me. And for those of you that have been through really hard things, or actually really good things too, has anything changed in your faith? If you were to view it like something that's growing, does it look any different now than it used to? And what might be an invitation there? Clearly, there's lots of tests. There are lots of opportunities as we look back over the last few years. There's room to grow. For some of us, it's been the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a loved one, the loss of security. And over the last several years, the question of, God, where are you, just feels like it's playing on repeat. It could be a global tragedy or a local tragedy, but you just, as you age, continue to see the decay that lives just under the no-problem facade of suburban capitalism. And the question of, God, can I trust you, plays on repeat. It could be good things that have been happening over a while. I think these are also opportunities of testing that maybe it was a a new job or a new relationship or an unexpected gift. And maybe the question there is, God, what do you want me to do with this? And I think in it all, it's, it's just so interesting looking at this person of Jesus and what he did with his students, with the folks who were, were following him. His menu was just so simple. I mean, he pretty consistently would be inviting them to consider, hey, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? What have you planned for dinner this evening? Do you remember that it comes from God? Don't forget. The clothes that are on your body right now, feel them. Feel the weight of them on your shoulders, the wrinkle of them on your thighs. Right now, the clothes on your body. Can you trust God for those too? The worries that are swimming in your mind. I'm, if I'm fed and if I'm clothed, can you maybe have something to do with these as well? And one significant teaching that Jesus gave over and over and over again was the invitation to grow in your trust in God and who he has made you to be. There's a story we're going to get knee-deep into today. Uh, It's a story that's really known, even even if you're like, man, I've never read the Bible before, this is probably one of those ones that you've heard of. (laughs) It's a story of Jesus and one of his students, Peter, walking on water together. Uh, As we get into this story, there's a couple things I want you to know that precede this story, and this is just wild to me. Right before this, they've been working with this crowd of people, 5,000 strong, and nobody really wants to break up the party, but everybody's getting hungry, and there are old people there, there are little kids there. If you've ever been at a family reunion with that dynamic, if there's no food, it's a problem. (laughs) And Jesus turns to his students and he says, you guys feed them. And they empty out their pockets, and they go, we've got a couple quarters and zero pieces of bread. Jesus, we we can't. And I want you to hear in that story that we won't get into today, but oh, it's so worth the read with this teaching today, that Jesus had invited them to feed the crowd. He really, it wasn't like a bait and switch weird carrot in front of a donkey type of a thing. Like this is like, I actually believe that you can feed this crowd, you guys. Feed them. And they just don't know how. And as we'll see in this story, I think it's just, Jesus just had this really excellent vision to be able to go, I can see your faith. I'm tending it. I want it to grow. So where can I see opportunities to say, where is it today? Do you understand the invitation that I gave you? That I gave it to you. That I actually think that you can do the thing that I'm inviting you to do. 
because I want your faith to grow. That's one thing that's going on right before this story. The other thing that's going on right before this story is that Jesus has just lost his cousin. John the Baptist was one of the stories in this same chapter. He was beheaded. And I think Jesus, looking at his cousin's life and going, he was killed because he was talking about the kingdom of heaven, because he was inviting people to know God personally, to follow him radically. That's what I'm doing. If I continue on this path, I also may be headed towards something similar. So I think as Jesus is coming into our story for today, he's asking the question, can I trust this God? Do I trust this God? And then we get into our story for today. This comes out of Matthew 14, starts in verse 22. Here's my invitation as we read through this. Again, some of you are like, I need to see it on the page. Go for it. Absolutely. It'll be up on the screen as well. If you're like, hey, 50-50 ball, I can do whatever. Here's my invitation. I'm going to read through this twice. I would love for you to close your eyes and imagine it. I want you to imagine, is the sun up or is the sun down? Is the wind blowing? Can you taste the sea salt on your lips? And imagine the face of Jesus and the face of who else is in this thing. I want you to just immerse yourself in the scene. Here's how the story goes. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I'm going to read this one more time in just a minute, but before we do, I just want to highlight a couple things that are really fun to know about this. First off, there's a bunch of Jewish guys hanging out together on the water, if you're Jewish, water, especially large bodies of water, represents something very particular, chaos and death. It's metaphorical for them, just as much as it is physical. So the fact that Jesus is walking on top of it, the fact that there's a storm going on around them, it's, it's like a story that says, hey, we're just doubling down on the fact of the order of things. This Jesus guy, he's above the chaos and the death. It's amazing. The fact that he's walking on water is not just a physical miracle. There's a deep symbolism in it. And he's not just walking by himself. It's something that's so cool in Matthew's story. 
Peter, man, this guy, I, he's a really good student. If you're the student of a rabbi, you have a pretty singular idea of what you want to be about, and it's this. I want to do whatever I see my rabbi doing. And so Peter, one of 12 students that's in this boat watching this all happen, is watching his rabbi walk around on water and is like, I want to do what he's doing, <laughs> which I love about Peter's attitude. Also, he knows the risk. He's a fisherman. He's watched people drown in his professional career. The water is death and chaos to him. So this dude has some guts when he sees his rabbi and says, I'm supposed to do what you're doing. If you want me out there, call me to you. <laughs> this guy, such guts. He calls to Jesus. And, and Jesus says something really, I think, unusual here. And as we get ready to read it for a second time, I just want to point out, Jesus says, why did you doubt? Which is just strange because did, like, did he doubt? The moment he stopped, starts sinking, the first thing he says is, Jesus, save me. It seems like his doubt is actually fine. Like he knows the one who can save him. So what is it that Jesus is talking about here? What is it that Peter is doubting? And as we get ready now to read it a second time, I, wanna, I want you to hold that question. Let's jump back into the story. Again, it goes like this. And again, if you need to follow along, go for it. If you can close your eyes and imagine it, like let it play out as if you're a movie director guiding the scene. What happens? Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came, walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What's he doubting? I think as a student of a rabbi, rabbis don't usually invite their students to do things that they're incapable of doing. Like that, that's like mean as a teacher or as a parent to know that somebody's going to fail and to make them do it anyway. Maybe sometimes, very rarely. What was Peter doubting? I think he forgot that Jesus called him Peter. It's because Jesus thinks that he can do this, that Peter is out there to begin with. Peter's lack of faith is not in Jesus as the one who can save him. Not in this story. Peter's lack of faith is a trust that he can do the things that Jesus thinks that he can do. I can't walk on water. But Jesus said you could, Peter. How many times in life do we say no to something that Jesus is saying yes to on our behalf? It's as if 
this spiritual pilgrimage that we may all find ourselves on, no matter what we've done, and no matter what's been done to us, and no matter what we believe or where we're at in that belief, it's as if the invitation is come grow in your trust in God and in who he has made you to be. Peter sometimes just gets a bad rap through these stories, but here we see him as the only successful student who understood the lesson. He may have done it imperfectly, but he did it. As he gets in the boat, I can only imagine the other guys looking at him. And he's like shaking off and asking for a towel, and he's like, hey man, I might have gotten a B plus, but you guys all got Fs, so stop your staring. Jesus is acknowledging that everything he's taught his students, everything that God has always asked his people to do and to be about, this Jesus believes that they can do it. And he's consistently inviting them. And he's consistently inviting us to listen and to watch as he lives and works. And that the invitation to begin imitating him in everything is genuine. The themes that, things that seem impossible or difficult or outlandish, he's dead serious that he thinks that you can do it. What is the chaos of your world? Where's their death that's just around and present? Again, all those things, Jesus is saying, come follow me. What are the things that lie between us and Jesus that look unsafe? Trusting him with our relationships or our finances or our decisions where do the teachings of Jesus just seem like they're too much? To live with a posture of forgiveness all the time, to love my enemies, actively caring for the immigrant and the orphan and the widow and the marginalized, that's hard. You want to get into my sexuality, and do I look at that with faith, that it can be right? Speaking the truth all the time and not having lies in my mouth, that's hard. Doing what is right and just. Sharing God's story with those that haven't heard. Man, that takes some guts to do. Living a life of radical faith. That God is who he says he is and I am who he says I am. Jesus is saying, my voice alone. Listen to me. Look to me. Keep taking steps. Trust in me. Have faith. I've got you. You can do this. Grow in your trust in God and who he has made you to be. And there's a deeper story here. To be like our teacher, to go out into death and chaos, to meet him there, to trust that he's above it and to come through it all together. This is a story that defies death itself. It's what it ultimately means to follow this particular rabbi. If we're to do everything he does, it also means that we'll follow him into his death. And it also means that we'll follow him right back out into life. Are there things in your life that you may be saying no to, that Jesus is saying yes to? Where's he calling you to trust? Where are you believing in things other than God to give you rest or comfort or security, that he's inviting you to let go of it? What boats is he asking you to let go of? Where is he inviting you to grow in your trust of him? and in who he has made you to be. The point of it all is faith development, that you would grow, that as you tend to this thing that you have begun, as the God of creation tends to that thing in you, that there is an invitation to more, 
to growth, to maturity. There's a picture that was done. We're going to put it up on the screen here, a painting. Um, Some of you have for sure seen this before. I just can't get it out of my head when we read this story. A Korean painter took 10 years for him to get this down on paper. He really loved the story of Peter and Jesus walking on water and took so many different stabs at it. You can actually find in a Google search a whole bunch of different iterations. But after 10 years, one day he woke up with this in his mind and wanted to take another stab at it and realized, I need to stop painting Peter into the scene and I need to just paint him as the perspective because I don't want the people who view my art to see something that happened a long time ago. I want them to see that this is a story that's happening right here, right now, today. We're going to take a moment, if you'll risk with me, uh, to do something that the church has been doing for thousands of years, and it's just a way to pray called Visio Divina. And what we're going to do right now as the band just plays quietly underneath is you'll have a couple minutes to consider a couple questions that I'll have in just a second, but would just love for you to consider, God, what are you doing in me today? Maybe you go back to that first question we began with together, how am I? And as you hold your question of how am I, you look at the face and the hand of a Jesus who's saying, I want to have something to do with that. I don't just want to meddle in your life. I actually want to tend to something that I've been doing in you. What do you have today, kiddo? Bring it to me and let's go. There could be a lot of pain that's involved in reaching out to this hand. There could be a lot of opportunity and a lot of things you're not wanting to let go of that this hand may invite. But the point of this next couple minutes will simply just be to pay attention in your own soul as I believe the God of the universe is still very much active in speaking to us. What's he saying to you today? What are the things in your life that he's engaging? A couple reminders and questions. Water, it's chaos and death. He is inviting you to join him above it. It doesn't mean that it will go away. It just means that he'll be with you in it and on top of it. What is that? What feels impossible or too hard or too much? And again, maybe it's not death or chaos or impossible things he's inviting you through. Maybe it's comfort and opportunity. And again, he's simply inviting you to be with him and to learn from him and to watch him more closely. What may he be asking you to leave behind so that you can be with him more closely? What comfort can you draw from his face? And finally, what may God be saying to you, directly to you today? Because he wants to grow in your trust of him, and he wants you to grow in your trust of who he has made you to be. Take a couple minutes and consider and pray, and Drew and the band will then lead us in singing.